This is Echo Zoe Radio, episode 144 for April 2020 with Ryan Habana on the Noahide Laws. Welcome to Echo Zoe Radio, the podcast outreach of Echo Zoe Ministries, where you'll hear about important topics affecting the church today. Our primary goal is to explore a variety of issues while remaining faithful to God and His Word. Stay with us for the next hour as your host, Andy Olson, shares his conversation with this month's guest. Here's your host, Andy Olson. I'm Andy Olson. Thanks for listening to Echo Zoe Radio. This is episode 144 for April 2020 with Ryan Habana. Ryan is pastor of Conquering King Fellowship in Egan, uh, Minnesota, executive director of the Mount Moriah Foundation, and executive producer of Jerusalem's King and its upcoming sequel, The Conquest. Ryan's also my most frequent return guest and joins me today to talk about the Noahide Laws. If you're unaware of what that is, don't worry, so am I. So stay with me and uh, learn with me. And uh, show notes for this episode are expected. Um, we're actually live streaming right now. Those notes aren't up yet, but uh, once we put together the, the formal final episode, um, well, you'll get a basic outline of the discussion, list of any scriptures referenced uh, that come up during the show, and links to additional resources. And so when that goes live, you'll find it at echozoe.com slash 144. Also, just a periodic reminder that you can sign up for email alerts for new episodes. So being just one episode a month, you'll get one email a month. And so that won't, will not clutter up your email box, but you'll get alerted to when new episodes posts right away. But uh, with that, here's my discussion with Ryan. Ryan. Greetings. You hear me? I do hear you. So thanks for joining me. It's a little bit odd to be living uh, just, uh, you know, we're what, 15 miles apart and can't do this in person. Yeah. I, you know, the thing is, is I'm starting to actually get used to it a little bit. I mean, we're about, you know, three or four weeks about into social distancing here. And I, I do teach Bible classes. And so we've been doing uh, our Bible classes on zoom. And so I do that three times a week. So I hope I don't get too used to it because I do prefer uh, being uh, physically in classes. And, and even if we were doing this, I think it's better to do it face to face. But it's it's a blessing to be able to do it in this way as well. That mm-hmm. technology allows us to still fellowship and, and learn. And uh, the Lord provides. So it's, yeah. a, it's a good yeah. thing to be here. Yeah, it's just a little odd. Uh, you know, Norm, I don't think we've ever done a remote you and I together. So uh, no, there's no need to kind of odd to do that when it's, you're about a a 20 minute drive away, 30 minute drive away. So normally we just uh, do it in studio, but uh, nice to be able to do it anyway. So yes, indeed. So um, you, as is typical when you do shows with me, you brought the topic and uh, you're going to talk about the, the, you usually ask me to bring the topic. Well, I do. (laughs) Well, because it's, it's always interesting. You never disappoint. And yeah, so we're going to talk about the Noahide laws. And as I said in the introduction, um, I know as little about that as probably any of um, any of the listeners that uh, haven't heard of it before. So, Well, it's something that I was unfamiliar with until maybe, 
you know, 10 years ago or so. And the other, uh, you're not alone. Uh, this is something that is within the Christian evangelical community. It's something that's very little, uh, little very little knowledge about it. In fact, I, I taught a Sunday school uh, series on this at my church last fall, and I asked for a raise of hands of how many people had heard of this, and nobody raised their hand. So it's mm-hmm. it's it's something that a you know not a lot of people know about. But I I do find it to be a very fascinating topic because it's something that causes you to dig into history, to examine what salvation by grace through faith is like, what it truly is. And uh, also consider some aspects of uh, of the future. Uh, how might these things be incorporated to some of the things we might see in a in in the world? Uh, and we can talk about some of those uh, those things as as we go along. So what what is what is this Noahide law? What is it? Well, let me start by that by giving you a little story because this is kind of how I was introduced to the Noahide laws. As if if people are familiar with our previous episodes, though they well know that uh, we take several trips to to Israel, and mm-hmm. uh, it's actually in Israel where I became acquainted with these things. Uh, and one time I was in a uh, in a certain area in the in the Jewish old city, and I was uh, approached by an Orthodox Jew, and it shared with me a, a, a piece of paper that was kind of like a tract. And uh, on it, it was the presentation of the Noahide laws. And so I found that quite interesting. And uh, now after that, the, the more I go, the, the more these things happen. And you notice them, for instance, uh, just a couple, a uh, few weeks ago, or a month or so ago, when we were in the in the land for the last time, one of the ladies, when they were at the Western Wall, was approached by another woman, and they were given a tract with this with the Noahide laws, and so uh, that was kind of my gateway into this. And my, uh, if we want to talk about definition, let's just talk about a basic definition, and then we can kind of explore the roots of where it came from, how it's being used today, and whether this is something the believer needs to be. Uh, concerned about or needs to engage in, I would ultimately say that uh, from the outset, this is what I think we need to uh, understand about the Noahide laws. I do think it is a good thing to be aware of these and how they're being used. It's good to be aware of the Noahide laws and how they are functioning within much of the, the Orthodox Jewish community. And the other thing is, is, outside of being aware of them, we need to be discerning, as we need to be discerning in all things. Uh, as this is a particular area that um, uh, can be uh, a tricky one, with a lot of pitfalls one can fall into if they don't properly navigate the theological landscape. So what is the Noahide Laws? Well, the Noahide Laws are also called the uh, Noachian Laws, and it's it's this actually a Jewish Talmudic designation, and we can that might be another thing we'll need to define what the Talmud is. Mm-hmm. But it's a Jewish Talmudic de- uh, designation of seven biblical laws that were given to both Adam and to Noah, and so in consequence, because they were given to both Adam and Noah, they are binding upon all humanity, because they were given then before Mount Sinai. Now Mount Sinai. Around you know fourteen hundred. Well, not only before Mount 
Sinai, we're talking pre-Abraham, so oh, pre, yeah. before yeah. there was yeah. before there there was a Jewish people. And that's right? again why th- th- these are seen as universal. Is mm-hmm. uh, again, if you talk about Noah, uh, they got to be universal. If 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 they're starting from Noah and all of Noah's offspring, uh, they need to be universal because uh, the humanity was in a sense, restarted through Noah and his offspring. Mm-hmm. So we often forget that just as we are descended from our first parents, Adam and Eve, we're also descended from Noah and his wife. So the the Talmudic designation is that the uh, all, there are these seven laws that were given uh, both at the time of creation and then the time of this new world, uh, in the wake of the flood. And these are laws that are binding upon all humanity. Now, the reason I bring up the, uh, the Torah is because uh, we, the Torah is w- what is binding upon Israel. The, mm-hmm. the 613, or as most count, laws that we see given uh, through Moses in the law uh, these are binding upon Israel, and and so the questions cropped up within history, as oh, uh, within the the Jewish world, uh, what about the Gentiles? How does the the Jewish world consider the Gentiles? One thing we you kind of um, note that there isn't a a huge uh, proselytizing um, push from uh, the the realm of Judaism. They really aren't trying to go out and and make other people quote unquote Jews. Uh, of course, there may be, there are exceptions to that rule, but this realm of the Noahide laws is kind of their means of proselytizing. Now they aren't turning people in or saying you need to become a Jew. But the the question is is what is the Jewish response to the world and how is the world supposed to get right with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Now it's interesting as we pose those type of questions because uh, from a new covenant perspective we know the d- definitive answer in regards to that and God has had a plan for that. How does the world become blessed with the blessing of Abraham? And so that's something certainly we will we will. Approach later, but uh, this is where we kind of get into uh, as far as uh, sketching out how we view these things. Is you know the question is are these law question being are these laws biblical? And we'll get into what the laws are in a second. But mm-hmm. uh, you know that's a, even a, a, a an interesting question: are the laws biblical? Because uh, one that one question that that can be presenting is. Uh, are we? Uh, do we find these laws in the Bible? These seven Noahide laws, and that's is it biblical in that sense? The other sense, when people says, "Is it biblical?" Is it, uh, is this something that we should be heeding and paying attention to and practicing? And uh, some people would ask, "Are we to come to become Noahides?" And that is actually a designation in among many Jewish. Uh, uh, for lack of a better term, denominations, is uh, are we to become Noahides, Gentiles that are following these laws? And so let me, 
list the, the laws here. And uh, the seven laws here, and just to, the, these, these things vary, by the way, and as they are fairly, a, a lot of times, uh, bare in their, uh, in their exhortations, they get interpreted, as you can understand, in a lot of different ways. But um, the seven that we find uh, most often, you know, codified, and I'll read a, a Talmudic uh, de- designation here that actually lists them. Mm-hmm. But one is the positive injunction to set up courts and justly enforce laws. So that's the, the one law that is, uh, is actually a positive command. Uh, set up courts and justly enforce the laws. Then we have the prohibition of blasphemy, the prohibition of idolatry, the prohibition of sexual immorality, the prohibition of murder, the prohibition of theft, and the prohibition of eating the meat of a living animal. So these are the seven Noahide laws. And most of them are thou shall nots. And go ahead, Andy. Oh, I was just going to say, um, I was trying to write those down as you were going. I've got, I've got the just set up courts and just justly enforce laws. Um, and then prohibitions against blasphemy. Yeah, all idol- blasphemy. Go ahead. Blasphemy, idolatry, adultery, theft. And then what were the last two? Uh, well, sexual immorality, murder, theft, and the prohibition of eating the meat of a living animal. Okay. Um, and historically, where does that one come from? I, well, historically, that would um, the the meat of a living animal is not to eat an animal while it still has its blood within it. Okay, and so that's where that would come come from. Sorry, uh, I still to, have. I I must have missed something too because I. I, I have. Let me let's, let me just list them again. The courts. We have to, to yep. justly enforce laws: blasphemy, idolatry, sexual immorality, murder, theft, oh, okay. and eating the meat of a living animal. Okay, I missed. Uh, it, it it sounds like they're pretty much like taken out of the Ten Commandments. Well, they they would be reflected, yeah. There, although the the eating of the meat of a, a living animal and the uh, the setting up of courts are things that are, are we, we would say, kind of, you, you certainly could find a way to, at least the justly setting up courts, you might be able sure. to find an implication there, but the, the eating the meat of a living animal is uh, is something a bit different. We certainly have uh, what, what some call the second table of the, of the, the Ten Commandments here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, and, for the most part, I mean, we're not talking about the covetousness. I like got one would be missing and maybe replaced right. with with um, idolatry it's, instead. But there certainly are. There's overlapping. Certainly, sure. I mean, a ton of okay. overlapping between what we would say the Noahide laws and the the uh, Ten Commandments, uh, and and a lot of people have noted that and, and uh, understand that. So uh, the. Um, you know, let me read out of the, the Talmud. Now, what's, what is the Talmud? Uh, the Talmud is a collection of rabbinical writings and traditions and interpretations of the oral law, and this dates all the way back uh, at least to, to B.C. times as far as the tradition. And the, uh, the, the Talmud, this is, the, again, the Babylonian Talmud, remember, this is a collection 
uh, of interpretations and commentary and tradition from rabbis. And one thing to remember about the Talmud is it isn't always what we would call Christian-friendly, especially, of of course, uh, writings that come in the wake of uh, the, the, the event of the Messiah coming in the first century. But we see that in the Babylonian Talmud, and it's, this is in the Sanhedrin 56a, this is where you'd find it, it says, The descendants of Noah were commanded with seven precepts to establish laws and prohibitions of blasphemy, idolatry, adultery, bloodshed, theft, and eating the blood of a living animal. So that is where we find kind of a codification of these, these laws. And uh, so this is this has been known in in Judaism, you know, going back to BC, the times of of, of BC, and mm-hmm. uh, so within rabbinical Ju- uh, Judaism, rabbinical Judaism is, uh, you know, that's kind of the the catch-all term for modern Judaism, uh, where you, that would be something that would be contrasted with. Uh, something that we call Second Temple Judaism, what what Judaism looked like when the Second Temple was in existence from 520 to 8070. Rabbinical Judaism was formed, although seeds were formed during that time in the wake of that because the Temple went away. And so uh, Rabbinical Judaism, you know, one of the reasons why these things are considered is, again, how uh, how is one to relate to a Gentile? And this is a, a means in, within rabbinical Judaism uh, for a type of proselytization of the Gentiles to go out and say, you should be obeying these laws. And in fact, many of them would see this as the foundation of entering the kingdom to come, is do you observe the Noahide laws? They, uh, it's really interesting to read some of the comments of the rabbis as far as the Gentile participation in the kingdom to come, because they base it, they recognize in the scriptures, because it's very clear throughout the Old Old Testament that the, uh, the Gentiles are going to participate in the kingdom. And this is the means through which they, uh, many of them would believe that the Gentiles are going to enter the kingdom. And I might, I can read some modern commentary um, from um, people that are modern rabbinical Jews, and okay. we can see how they understand that. Another one is a foundation for uh, law and courts. So if if and when there is a setting up of a th- kind of a theocratic court, which a lot of this stuff is actually already going on in Israel right now, there's a thing called the nascent Sanhedrin. And in in Israel right now, there is a... Israel is, as far as the the state of Israel, it very much is, you know, a democratic, in another sense, kind of a secular state. And there's there's a lot of uh, conflict because those that are religious do want the state to reflect more of a theocratic uh, way of law rather than a democratic way of law. And so... Uh, the nascent saint, that's how things you know, operated in, in ancient times. And even, even while they were under Rome, there was a Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin uh, is nascent right now. It's budding, but you're not going to be able to find their, their names uh, listed on a website or anything like that, because for the most part, they have spokespeople. But 
they, as far as who they are and how they're operating, it's very much unseen. So the Noahide laws are kind of plugged into uh, that understanding and a push for a more of a theocratic way of governance and how one would uh, imagine if Israel as a state before the coming of Christ becomes more theocratic and how how are the laws to be ruled in regards to those who aren't Jews, this may be a way that they would go as having the uh, the Noahidic laws as a foundation. Sorry, yeah, I was I was trying to follow that, but I was also a little distracted. I'm, I was looking at the Facebook Live, and it sounds like um, it's not it's not sending audio, at least not your audio. So uh, we'll just continue, and uh, maybe I can post if uh, you happen to see this or or you're listening later on and uh, want to see it. Um, I'll probably post a uh, video version later. But uh, apologies to anybody who's watching it. Can't hear Ryan. Um, hopefully uh, we'll get it up in the next few days. But uh, so that's why I was distracted a little bit, but also trying to follow along there. And okay. I had a couple questions as you had kind of brought the uh, the subject to me. And the first was, um, is, is this thing, is this, is this, how is this related to like what the, like the reformed idea of natural law or, or kind of, you know, um, you know, you hear people talk about natural law. Is this in any real, in any way related to that or? I, I suppose you can make a tangential connection. Uh, when you read, for instance, in, uh, in Romans one and Romans two, which is where we do find the, uh, the declaration of what we would call natural law, uh, the things that are expressed here, for instance, in Romans 1, the, the a prohibition against idolatry is seen in creation. Uh, mm-hmm. And everyone knows there is a singular creator that is uh, deserving of worship in their hearts, but they suppress it. So uh, it certainly is something that can be connected. Now, I, I want to, <clears throat> you know, start to kind of reveal my hand here a little bit about where I'm going with this, because this is what, this is kind of one of the dangers that I see in, in interacting with this is uh, we always have to remember and, and test everything in and against the gospel. And Mm -hmm. the, the aspect of the nomadic laws, although we may and, and should recognize many of these things that we look at and say, yes, this is, the law of God, for instance, prohibition against idolatry and murder and theft. These are these are transcendent things that are again connected to what we find even in the New Testament. The New Testament affirms the continued binding that, for instance, we as believers in Jesus of Christ, Jesus Christ, we are not allowed to now. Okay, so we have we're lawless. So murder steal, whatever, because we're under grace. We know that's something that is condemned by the New Testament. We, uh, we of all people, uphold the law. And uh, the way we uphold the law is, of course, only through uh, by grace through faith in Christ. And so uh, that I, I kind of want to start laying that already down because that needs to be the benchmark and the prime tuning fork, so to speak, in all of our uh, practices. And we're going to kind of look at a couple ways where, again, we might be able to look at this and think, oh, this sounds really good. This sounds 
like something that I could get on board with. But uh, once we start to peel some of the layers away, we, we want to see that it isn't that the, the law itself is, uh, is, is wicked. The, the law itself is good. We know that from Romans 7. Anything that comes forth as a command from the holy, righteous nature of God is good. But remember uh, what charges, for instance, um, Jesus was brought up on. The author of life, he was brought up on charges that he was violating or trampling the law. And furthermore, we see that with Stephen in Acts chapter 7 and 8. He is accused of, of trampling the law. So that's something that I want us to keep in mind as we, as we go through this, is that, uh, we, yes, we do recognize the, uh, the binding nature and even continuing nature of many of these things, but we need to be very careful and, you know, kind of let's ask that question, should I become a Noahide? And uh, that's something that I think we want, to, um, we want to consider as we walk through this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think you kind of already, in some ways, uh, handled my, my other question. And that was that uh, I was going to go to uh, Romans chapter 2. And this, uh, and it kind of ties in with my natural law question. And and how, uh, uh, let me just bring it up over here, Romans 2.12, uh, no, sorry, Romans 2.14 and 15, which says, For wherever the Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature the things of the law, these, although they do not have the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written on their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts one after another, accusing and even defending them. Right, and so that's a very primary dynamic we see there. So like Romans 1 is the creation prohibition of idolatry. But in, in, in Romans 2, we see that even within the conscience, within the heart, the Lord, and this isn't, many people misread this as, as okay, people can get saved through natural revelation. And that's not what this Romans 2 or 1 is all about. It's right. that uh, these things ultimately are, are bring guilt upon us. That's everything that Paul is bringing us to when we get to chap- chapter 3, that all have sinned, all have violated the law, whether it's the law of Moses or so-called natural law. We've all rebelled. And so no flesh is going to be justified by the work of the law. And so that's what's fascinating here is the reason why this is, I think, is a good exercise is it, it kind of sharpens our minds to, again, remember about the the distinction and the relationship between law and gospel. And uh, it's important for us to to remember these things and uh the it's it we don't deal with this stuff in over in the states here uh like i said not many people even know what these things are but mm-hmm. if if you were living in jerusalem right now and you were doing evangelism in jerusalem or in 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 israel at all uh you i would be very very surprised if you if you did not know of these things and if you didn't know of these things you better learn them because they they are a, a part of the dynamic, the frontline dynamic that you're dealing with when conversing with uh, someone that is following rabbinic Judaism. And so uh, it, they're, they're actually, they turn into a, a fantastic springboard for, uh, for gospel conversation and proclamation because the law is brought up here. And even, even here, the, the purpose of, of bringing these things forth uh, of, of handing out a track with the 
uh, with the seven Noahide laws is they're trying to reach you with their intent. And it's a bridge where we can come back uh, with the the word of the king, of the fulfillment of the law and prophets. Now, let me read uh, a couple of quotes. Let's kind of shift now to some of the modern the modern way these are being uh, articulated. And this is uh, actually from a, a site. Now, I, I uh, this would have been from last fall, so I, I can't guarantee this is, uh, this is actually uh, still on the same website. But this is from a website called uh, Chabad.org, which is C-H-A-B-A-D.org. And that is the, uh, and it, it's under the seven, the, the under the heading of the article of the seven Noahide laws. And uh, let me just uh, read the, let me just read the, the, de- the declaration here on the, on, on this. And this is somebody that, this is not a believer in Christ, mind you. This is somebody that right. is a follower of rabbinic Judaism. And he asked, uh, he or she uh, asked the question, why are the Noahide laws especially important today? Today we are on the verge of a new era for humankind, a time when we will finally live together in peace and the world will be filled with divine wisdom. Those who keep these basic rules will have a share in that world, since after all, they took part in making it possible. Although these teachings were recorded in the sacred Jewish text for many centuries, Jews were not able to speak about them to the people they they lived amongst. But in recent times, the foremost rabbi of the Jewish people in the 20th century, Rabbi Menachem M. Schneerson, of righteous memory, encouraged Jews to publicize these teachings so that the world can prepare for the times of peace and wisdom that are swiftly approaching. So this is... Uh, you know, a kind of a, a modern movement, a modern push to go out and have Gentiles start to observe these works of the Noahide laws. And it's through obedience to these things that both, we, you can tell the dynamics here, both the world, uh, they're going to inherit the world to come and they're going to be a participant in making the world like that. And that's what what is noted here. Now, to go well, on sounds- here... Sorry to interrupt here. It sounds to me like there's some confusing confusion going on there. You know, it sounds kind of like common grace, but it's a confused form of common grace. And if you if you adhere to this works based methodology, that that these promises will flow out of it. Right, and and actually, that's how they would the language here would they would connect the world to come with the messianic kingdom. So, and again, from their perspective, Messiah hasn't come yet. So, so the the it, but it's through the the works of these laws, and this is again. Remember, this is what the Gentiles are to do because Gentiles aren't Jews, and uh, contrary to what uh, you know, again, a lot of those within even evangelical, uh, I, I should say, the fringes of, of evangelicalism, is the the a lot of Gentiles want to become Jews. And they'll submit themselves to the law of Moses, and for the most part, even Jews are you know don't want that. They 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 don't think that is the path to go. Uh, but nevertheless, the, uh, the 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 truth that we see here is that um, again, Christ and His gospel 
is the measuring stick, is the plumb line, is the tuning fork. And so when we start hearing these words, it's very interesting because this is the operation of someone who reads the law and profits and in some way is trying to make sense of this coming world to come, but is apart from the person and work of Jesus of Nazareth. And so uh, let's let me continue and read the rest of the, the article here. Or not the rest of the article, it's just a sample of, of the article. Who keeps the Noahide laws? Nobody needs to convert or join a particular church or temple to keep these principles and laws. But it's important to keep them because this is what the supreme... G slash D, that's the way many of them write uh, God, wants of every one of us. And not only because they are wise and good laws, anyone who keeps these basic rules for that reason, regardless of race, nationality, or culture, is considered a righteous person and granted eternal life upon leaving this world. So it's interesting where you see a huge contrast there. Mm -hmm. It's that this the language here, this this person is considered righteous through keeping the Noahide laws. And so this is why it's we need to be careful as we're walking in this because again, from a from a perspective of someone that looks at, at law in general, like what is right, what is righteous, certainly we would nod and agree that yep. you shall not murder, you shall uh, sexual morality is wrong, theft is wrong, all of these things we nod, nod and agree. But it is how one uses the law. And this, we see very clearly, uh, it is an intent to, uh, to, to have one practice these things and be, yes, justified, declared righteous on the basis of one's works. And so if we were yep. kind of building upon, we've already been looking at uh, at least drawing from Romans 1 through 3 already, just yep. keep reading. Mm-hmm. Romans 4 is... Abraham, and he was justified not by works, but by faith, and that's what Paul is stressing here. No, uh, in the in, in association with the works of the law, and Paul inclu- is including in that indictment in Romans one through three both natural revelation and the specific revelation of the uh, of the law of of the law, and uh, I, I think that. Uh, these these dynamics again. We really want to, um, you know, consider again. Are we bound to the Noahide laws? I think that is a um, an, an issue. You know, are we bound to the Noahide laws? And we want to be very careful on that. And uh, this maybe we can build a, a, a bridge to the next uh, portion. But I wanted to read out of Romans 3. I had uh, that as a point for us to, to consider. Uh, you know, are we bound? When, we, when I say are we bound, it's, it's are we bound, meaning, okay, this is something that is binding upon us and we are to walk in these ways. And we always have to look at the, the scriptures uh, from a new covenant perspective. Uh, the, the Old Testament is... is, uh, is you know, inspired, fully useful for training in righteousness. But we you have to remember who the the interpreter who our who our teacher is in regards to the Old Testament, and that is Christ and his apostles. Uh, that was part of the meaning of the transfiguration. Um, Moses and Elijah appeared before Jesus, and a cloud came, and John, Peter, and James lifted up their eyes after this. 
you know, after and after hearing, this is my beloved son, listened to him, and they saw Jesus alone. So it isn't that the law and the prophets are no longer significant. It is that the one whom we primarily listen to is Jesus, who is actually the source of the law and the prophets and the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. And so Paul says about these things, about the works of the law, in Romans 3, verses 20, uh, 27 to 31, what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one. Who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? Do we then overthrow the law, overthrow the law by this faith? By no means, on the contrary, we uphold the law. And so we do uphold the law, but it is through careful discernment in reading the New Covenant Scriptures as to what is continually now binding um, and what has been fulfilled. And just a very simple uh, dynamic here would, would that I think most would understand is we no longer are bound to the Levitical sacrificial system. That is, is something that uh, the people of God are no longer bound to, whether you're Jew or Gentile. Because we have this change in priesthood that we read of in Hebrews chapter 7. And this change of priesthood has brought a, a better sacrifice once and for all. And uh, a, 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 the blood and bulls of goats could not fully take away sin. And now we have a better priest who forever intercedes for us. And so, uh, you know, these are, these are things which, you know, we're just, we're talking about huge macro uh, big biblical issues that span from the law, from the Torah, all the way to the New Covenant. So that's why I think this is a fascinating issue to dig into, because once you're aware of it and are able to be conversant in it, it is a a means to share the gospel. And we're kind of, this type of debate is the very thing that was going on in the first century. It's not much different at all, except there's no temple right now. And so, uh, are we bound to the Noahide laws? Well, um, as, we, as far as um, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not steal, I, I wouldn't say, okay, we're bound and we become Noahides, because ultimately we don't want to even articulate it in that, in that sense. We right. are followers of Christ, and we will follow the laws of our Messiah. There is such a thing as the law of Christ. And we see that in the New Testament. And that is what the New Testament affirms that we are still bound to. And ultimately, the law of Christ is central when, in, in, in one word, love. You shall love the Lord right. your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, and I was just going to go there, too. And, and, and if you're following these seven laws, you are, to some degree, expressing love towards your neighbor and love towards God by not committing adultery or, right. or uh, I'm sorry, idolatry or blasphemy. Um, and then not harming your neighbor, right? And the, the so, one that the one that's interesting is that that is that animal one. Yeah. And I and I and I think the way that's usually articulated, like I said, it is someone who is, uh, it's someone who is uh, eating the flesh of a live animal, meaning the animal's still living and you're gnawing on its leg or something like that. And mm-hmm. I don't think I I don't I've never met a, a practical. Uh, point in history where, or in my life, 
where I have to apply the knowledge of that. So it it may have been something, again, that was more of an issue in ancient times. Would they interpret that when you tie it to the blood, would they interpret it in that this, this animal might be dead, but it still has the blood in it? Yeah. And, and actually, I don't even know if the, they would, they might. And again, that's why, you know, most within Judaism, uh, blood is, you know, and, and a lot of this is, is rooted in some rabbinical reading of, uh, of some of the declarations that were made to Noah after the flood mm-hmm. about lifeblood. And so uh, anyways, the... Uh, there's another, we really can't get into it because it's a, it's a bunny trail, but it's an interesting place of study. Some have said that um, in the, uh, in Acts chapter 15, remember the, the Jerusalem council, when they made the uh, declaration that Gentiles were not required to be placed under the law of Moses. But then they, one of the things they noted that they were to avoid was blood. Right. And yeah, I've, I I, I kind of noted that early on in my own walk, you know, back you know, sh- shortly after being saved and reading through check, through Acts. I always read that to be kind of our version of kosher. This would be the Christian's version of kosher. <laughs> yeah, and there isn't really much to it there, you know. No, and and the strangled question, animals and right. and and blood and I mean, the, but but there's no limitation as far as pork or other animals. That, well, and and there's also questions about exactly. Uh, what the Jerusalem Council there was forbidding. Uh, it may well have been, and this is where I lean in regards to that, is that the cluster of things that the apostles were forbidding there were all things that were going on within the pagan temples. So when you would see that cluster, you would recognize, oh, these are the things that were going on within the Roman pagan temples. And so it was, it was basically an, an exhortation. You are not loosed from serving the one true and living God that you can go in and yeah. participate. In. Well, that's important to note too, yeah. that, you know, it, it, it's important to study our scriptures, but you're not going to get that kind of cultural context from the scriptures alone. You're going to have to go to a, you know, an outside source to get the cultural context. Right. There. And, and, and that's, sometimes and that's an cul- important thing to get. And sometimes the cultural context is, is a bit veiled to us. That's why, you know, we don't understand the scriptures perfectly. We understand them by God's grace and his spirit sufficiently, yep. but we don't uh, understand them completely. Now that kind of leads to another interesting thing. You know, we talk about, you, you can't, you know, so this would have been, if, if that is the, 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 the correct dynamic that the apostle was saying, this is what you still, it wasn't intended to be exhausted, like this is everything, but you, he, this is our command to you right now. You, you keep yourself from, from worshiping idols because there's one true and living God, and that's um, the triune God, the most high and the one whom he has sent in the spirit. These are, this is the one that you worship. Now, this, this is where things get uh, interesting, because um, remember, as we looked at the Noahide laws, uh, one of them was prohibitions against idolatry. Mm-hmm. And so uh, this prohibition of idolatry is, this is a debate within rabbinical Ju- uh, Judaism. Now, let's, let's consider this. And maybe let me just throw this at you. What 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 do you think? One of something that they may debate right now among Christians about what might be idolatry and what might not be Trinitarianism, right? Or or worshiping Christ, right? Right. So yeah. worshiping Christ, 
this is a uh, this is a debate within uh, within rabbinical Judaism, and actually there are there are two Hebrew words that this debate revolves around. One is Adova Zara, and the other is Shutuf. Adova Zara and Shutuf, and Adova Zara really means strange worship. And so it's the violation of the prohibition of idolatry. And so there would, there would, be, there would be some, and actually probably many and that I've read, and even the Talmud uh, notes certain things like this, that the worshiping of Jesus of Nazareth is considered strange worship. This is not worshiped mm-hmm. in their eyes. It is not worshiping the true and living God. And so... Again, looking at that, this is where we get into the issue of intent. And so uh, when we that prohibition against idolatry, we might nod, but it all depends on one's definition. Now, of course, as we look at the law, prophets, and the New Covenant writings, we know that the one whom Abraham worshipped, the one that Moses worshipped, the one that Gideon bowed down to, uh, the, these ones bowed down to the sun, to uh, to Debar Yahweh, to Malach Yahweh, to the sent one. And so, uh, again, this is another opportunity as we look at what they consider as idolatry. And to have this, the, 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 the wide understanding of the person of the Son and how he has been, not just in promise or in prophecy in the Old Testament, but in person, we can look to passages to show that... Uh, the one whom Abraham believed in Genesis 15 was, was the Lord, but he was called the Word. The Word came to Abraham, Dabar in Hebrew. And so this Adova Zerah, is a, to, the, to many they would see our worshiping of Jesus as strange worship, but we would come back and say, this is the only worship there has been. For certainly we worship the Father, but it goes back to the beginning. The only way one can come to the Father is through the Son. And that didn't start in the first century. It started at creation, because all things were created through the Son and for the Son. And the, But there is a, a section that would say, uh, in, again, Shutuf, which this is a large thing that for Gentiles, uh, there's a... It's permissible for some Gentiles to worship or associate mediators of, of uh, as God as permissible, but not for Jews. And this is kind of a wide thing. And this would even maybe dovetail into whether it's an well, a created angelic mediator or or Mary. This is the things that they would they would debate within Shatuf. Uh, so, but but certainly um, again, this is the debate. And so uh, that, that's one key thing that we, you know, again, the gospel being the tuning fork and the, the plumb line and the person of Christ. Uh, mm-hmm. He is the one that we will always worship. And these Noahide laws, uh, we, we may confess them as, as good and righteous, uh, as things that do reflect as long as, but again, as long as they are properly defined. And that's the other interesting yeah. thing. I've seen many of the Noahide laws be interpreted in a way that certainly are, is bent to a particular follower of rabbinical Jew in their version. Like I, re- I read one version that was that was basically the green version of the Noahide laws. <laughs> you know, they interpreted the, the of thing. Of course, there they, has to be these days. Well, they interpreted that living animal thing in such a broad sense that, oh, 
we need to take care of creation, you know, and uh, and take care of the trees. Well, that's I mean, that's the whole the whole concept of, uh, you know, like the balustrade and and this idea and the 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 um, uh, the word escapes me now. But um, the, the whole set of rabbinic laws that they set up around the biblical laws. And if you don't violate our laws, then you won't have any worry of ever violating God's law. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think that's why it's, it's such, such an important thing to remember the distinction between law and gospel, law and grace. That's the mm-hmm. other thing is, that, you know, I think it's the, the good news. When we, This is why a lot of times with, even within um, some of the more traditional reformed articulations of these things, like for instance, remembering the, this distinction or separation between law and gospel. Certainly within a, a certain way we understand that, but there is a relationship between the law of Moses and the gospel. The relationship is Christ fulfilled the law and the gospel. So it isn't that he destroyed the law and the gospel. He fulfilled the law and the gospel. And through his death, that is where that dividing wall was removed. And now in him, both Jew and Gentile are united because of the cross. We see that in Ephesians chapter 2. It's because of the cross of Christ. And and it's fascinating. We, we see that this is another gospel. It, it's, it's another, if one is saying... Um, well, that's a very important way to put it, yeah, fo- to call it another gospel. Following the noatic laws and saying, okay, this is what, I'm going to enter the kingdom because I'm following the noatic laws. That's another gospel. It is not the gospel that we find in the new covenant. Right. Well, and, and, and since you break that up, I mean, then do we not answer it the way Paul would answer it? You know, such as, you know, looking at things like uh, the book of Galatians or, uh, yeah, or even and, to Colossians to some degree. And Right. And I think, again, we always want to be careful because as Paul walks the line, ideally, because he's under the inspiration of the spirit in Romans is the law is good. Romans seven, we see the law is good. The law mm-hmm. is good. And so we, we, we can never look at that which comes from the Lord, whether it be even the Mosaic law. The Mosaic law, you know, it's, it's something that the Lord instituted, and it was good. The problem with the law of Moses wasn't the law. It was the people, the people that violated the law. And the law was there to point to the greater things. And we see that in, like you said, Colossians 2. And certainly Hebrews is all about that, that we have the greater things under the new covenant. Now, um, there is a there's a fascinating thing that went on in regards to this uh, last last year. Uh, while I, it was actually while I was I was teaching on this, there was a, a <clears throat> The, the the group in, in Jerusalem, which the group, there's, there's a bunch of different groups in Jerusalem that, again, are rooted in rabbinic Judaism. And a lot of them, although there may be some distinctions, are united in a similar cause, which is to, again, bring back the temple, bring back uh, the, uh, the, uh, the elements of the law of Moses, the Levitical priesthood. And we've, we've spoken of these things before on, on the show. And Something very interesting happened last fall is there was a, um, a, um, a time where they wanted to 
reestablish this Noahide covenant. Now, there is an understanding that there was a covenant with Noah and all humanity. And it's again, it's based on the Noahide laws. And um, there, what happened was is uh, they wanted to uh, perform a sacrifice, a, a blood sacrifice, re, kind of reaffirming the Noahide laws. And I actually watched this. Uh, um, I, I, I watched a, a video of it. I don't know if you can find it anymore because it was taken down, but somebody I'm sure probably captured it somewhere. But it sure. was it was the, it was a sacrifice. I believe it was a goat, the sacrifice okay. of a goat on the Mount of Olives, and the Mount of Olives on the Mount of Olives. Because well, the thing is, is that's the interesting thing. It was on the Mount of Olives because it can't be on within again the rabbinical understanding. It can't be on Mount Moriah because uh, only Levites. And and okay. the thing is, is okay. it, and and it wasn't performed by. A Levite. It was performed by a okay. Gentile. And, okay. Yeah. And so, um, and uh, let me read a little bit um, of, of this is uh, uh, this was there was this it was a conference and it's fascinating. Um, we, we read of this. The com- uh, this is some of the wording of it. The conference will bring representatives of the seventy nations to the Temple Mount. The Sanhedrin composed a statement of the purpose for the sacrifice. We, the offspring of those who exited the ark with Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the representatives of the words of the prophet, uh, uh, the, rep- um, the representatives of the seven nations ascended to the Temple Mount in order to pray to God to bring about the words of the prophets and to cancel out the judgment of the war of God and Gog and Magog. We seek today to renew the eternal covenant God made with those who left the ark in order to prevent any flood or any other forms of global catastrophe. And so there's this concept that this is, okay, judgment is coming, and this is the way to avert the judgment to come, is to reinstitute this this Noadic covenant. And uh, they've found ancient rabbinical writings that confirm this from the 12th century. And the the rabbinical terms, would says it says, uh, this is from the 12th century, Gentiles are permitted to offer burnt offerings to God in all places, provided they sacrifice them on a raised structure that they build. It is forbidden to help them offer these sacrifices or act as agents for them, for we are forbidden to uh, to sacrifice anywhere outside the temple courtyard. It is permitted to instruct them and to teach them how to sacrifice to the Almighty, blessed be he. The altar must be built exclusively by non-Jews who observe the Noahide laws, and the same is true of the sacrifice itself. The original sacrifice was made by Noah when he exited the ark after the flood. And so this actually, again, this is related to the Noahide laws and the understanding of, again, within this budding Sanhedrin, kind of the way, at least at this time, they're looking at merging with Gentiles. And this is one way. It was this Noahide understanding. And I watched the sacrifice. It was very strange for me, somebody that is not a farmer, wasn't brought (laughs) up in in, uh, the midst of uh, animals being, um, you know, butchered and and put for sale. So, uh, but for for me, it was you know to watch a ritual sacrifice on the Mount of Olives. Uh, again, I wasn't physically there; I watched it over the internet. 
But it was, sure. uh, it was, it, they uh, cut the neck of the goat and drained all the blood. And then, and then uh, um, that was the, the sacrifice on the Mount of Olives. I was, I, I'm surprised it took place with, with how politically charged such a thing could be. But nevertheless, we're in a, we're in a little bit of a bubble over here in the U.S. And uh, with our news cycle and with the things that commonly come before our eyes on mainstream and even even uh, uh, news that is off the beaten path, this type of stuff never runs across us. And so it's interesting to see things that are go- going on that are kind of outside of our bubble and how these things kind of connect to the wrestling uh, between um, Jew-Gentile law and the gospel. And mm-hmm. uh, that this is something that, again, occurred last, last fall, which would be the fall of 2019. Well, this is, this is definitely an interesting subject, and you didn't disappoint. You never do. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I'm glad that we, we've kind of you've, you've, uh, pointed out some of the dangers because uh, because when I'm as I'm listening I'm I'm thinking it, Judaism really in a lot of ways uh, mirrors Catholicism on some things in that they they've kind of taken on take they take over their system with tradition um, straying from what the scriptures say and then as people realize what's going on and they flee of course they're looking for ways to claw back and this just sounds in some regards, like a way of clawing followers back. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think that's been noted by a lot of, you know, it's something that has been noted by, by others as well, that you can really find a lot of points of commonality between Mm -hmm. rabbinical Judaism and Roman Catholicism. If you wanted to look at the roots of things and where things go off to, you look at the, in particular, one of the big ones is of course, is the elevation of tradition. Uh, right. re- really, of course, they both would say we, we value tradition alongside the scripture. But the truth is, mm-hmm. is tradition becomes the inspired interpreter of scripture. So it, in, in essence, it supersedes it. Supersedes in the it. End. Right. So, yeah. again, this is, as I kind of noted at the beginning, it's something that we want to be aware of and be conversant in, but be discerning about. And again, the tuning yeah. fork is always Christ. And that's what Christ right. and his yep. perfect work, the well, cross. That's another thing I really appreciated was showing, because as you're starting to present this uh, at the beginning here, I'm hearing um, kind of a reverse evangelism, um, Jew to Gentile, um, trying to win Gentiles to Judaism or some form of it at least. And so I appreciated that. Well, let's let's kind of do a little bit of uh, evangelistic jujitsu and and take that momentum that they're throwing and 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 turn around and use that to to share Christ right. and and being the fulfillment of not only the Mosaic law, but this law as well. Right. And, and anything that we do, when the, when the scriptures say we uphold the law, the only way we uphold the law is in the strength of Christ. There is no mm-hmm. such thing as somebody who is obeying apart from Christ. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And mm-hmm. so uh, when we do obey, when we do uphold the law, when we truly do love our God and love our neighbor— it's 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 because Christ is working in us that which is pleasing in His sight, and so we are we we are not saved by our works. Uh, we are saved by His His works, and um, He has planted uh, our faith in our hearts, which comes from Him, which is a gift. Mm-hmm. Ephesians two, and ultimately, what that does is 
is it's a living faith, so it has a pulse. It lives and it bears fruit. And so as we obey uh, and as we look to inherit eternal life, we know the only way we can inherit eternal life is in him. In him mm-hmm. is life. And so it, it, all of the complicated matters ultimately come back to something quite simple, and that is trusting our king, his person and his work, and you will do well. Mm-hmm. Well, well, thank you very much, Ryan. Um, hey, we're coming up around an hour. I lost a little track because I, I had to start the recording a little sooner than uh, what, what will. There's a bit that'll be cut out in the end. But um, but before we part, um, I mentioned Jerusalem's King, which is over your left shoulder, and the conquest over your right shoulder. And um, it, for those who might be watching on video, but um, I'd like to ask for updates on that. What what can you tell us? Jerusalem's King's been out since 2015, and uh, we're we're working on the conquest. Yeah, uh, um, actually, one of the things I'm thinking of doing with Jerusalem's King in the next month or so is I'm going. Um, I my old hard drive is I, I don't have the adapter for it right now, but that's where all the stuff is. I, I actually have to take an old uh, a Blu-ray of that and digitize it again. But what I want to do is, uh, uh, you can you can find it right now any um, not anywhere, but ChristianCinema.com and ChristianBook.com. Uh, it's available either for purchase or for stream there. But I I, I am going to um, digitize it and release it. Um, for free, I think again, kind of during this time, where we, I'm going to release it for free for people to watch, uh, and uh, hopefully we'll we'll do that over the next month and a half before June. We'll release that. Now I, I'm okay. hoping they're going to have a little bit, bit of, of a clip of the conquest, maybe a little bit of a teaser trailer at the beginning. Well, I, I might be able to save you some work on that because um, not only did you give me copies of everything, but um, at the time that Jerusalem's King came out, uh, I always make. Uh, just video file versions of everything. Oh yeah, that's right. I use a, I use a uh, local uh, media center for, I use Plex, which is a media center con- uh, software s- uh, platform. And uh, so I've got that, I've got it in HD and, and actually I've had it, uh, we've had it on Equizoi.com to purchase for a while. So, t- um, so I, we do have versions you wouldn't necessarily have. To awesome. Yeah. That, we but, can, uh, we can connect via a large fi- file sharing and that can uh, save sure. me from plugging in my, my, my Blu-ray burner and all that fun stuff. <laughs> So, yep. um, yeah, so with, with that will be with this, Jerusalem's King, but with Conquest, uh, we are uh, knee-deep in post-production right now, and I mm-hmm. am, I'm really excited. This, we, I'm really excited about how it's turning out. We, we still have a lot of work left to do, but as I've said before, uh, we're trying to make this look like a $100 million movie, uh, and, <laughs> and so... Uh, and so far, we're on our way. It, re- it really is something that the Lord has given us all sorts of resources and grace for us to do things we have no idea how to do, but that somehow they turn out. <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, so uh, this summer, we'll have a, 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 a large, probably our, our, you know, a big trailer, two minute full full trailer with a lot of the new new feel and new scenes. And um, I'm, I'm, my goal is kind of by the end of the year to hopefully uh, at least be ready. I, I, I can't guarantee a release because we are going to be pitching the, the film to distributors and hopefully have mm-hmm. a, a theatrical release. And that'll go yeah, wherever, the, awesome. wherever the Lord uh, takes it. But uh, your prayers are relished and uh, your prayers and your support for those. I know a lot of you listening to this podcast have have been a, uh, a part of, uh, of not only praying, but actually yeah, participating. 
It's been a bit of a work in progress. It's been almost a year since we uh, traveled over to the Holy Land and right. in Israel and, and did a bunch of filming for that. We're coming up on a year there. Uh, we're recording now on uh, Easter Sunday, April 12th, 2020, and we went uh, end of April last year. And actually the kind of the the new reality that we're all experiencing, this is actually kind of advantageous because, uh, you know, it, it, it actually opens up a bit more time for me to, to, to be working on it. And so it, that mm-hmm. it, itself might up. You know, up the uh, at least the finish date or, or accelerate the finish date, but we're in no rush. We we we, yeah. we really do want when we release it, we want it to be the, and that's the nice thing. We we we're producing this ourselves, so we don't have anybody outside pushing us to to meet a date, uh, other than yeah. we other than we we really do want to share it. But we're we're yeah. we're going to uh, we're going to polish it until we say it's ready to go. And Lord willing, it uh, it will bear fruit. Which often is just at some point you just got to realize that spent enough time on it. It's time to well. I think it was <laughs> it was George Lucas that said, and he was probably quoting from somebody else. Movies are never finished; they're just left. You leave them. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> well, as as evidenced as by evidenced how many by how retouches he, and right. remasterings he's done on that. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting with him saying that. Yes, with uh, yeah. for him, the things are never never finished. So. so, right. Well, when we, uh, I look forward to that too. And, and, um, I, I think I got a little bit more idea with conquest what's coming than I did with Jerusalem's King. So, uh, yeah. but I, I'm always interested when we can get together as a, a team and, and see kind of the clips that you've been working on and, and, uh, you know, what we've, what we've done, what you've done. Yeah, it's, it's exciting. And, uh, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm really excited to share. It's 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 a movie unlike you know. And this isn't this isn't uh, promotion speak here. This is just as sure. far as the the way the movie is set up and the way things are. Really, I don't know of any other film that I could point out and say, well, this is it, it's kind of very much like that. It's kind of its own unique thing. And so, yeah. um, I'm I'm looking forward to sharing it with people. And it's a lot of the a lot of what we were trying to pull off is audacious. With, for our budget. Mm-hmm. And and so mm-hmm. that's why we need prayer and we need the grace <laughs> of the Lord. Yeah. Well, I will definitely post whatever you want to release, whether it's the full version of Jerusalem's King, if we put it up online or um, the trailer of Conquest. Uh, both. I will eventually. certainly be posting, yeah. posting both of those as they come out. So awesome. keep an eye on uh, the Echozoe Twitter feed and, and the website and uh, we'll have those as they become available. But uh, Ryan, thanks so much for, for teaching me and, and the audience about the Noahide laws. All right. Till next time. Awesome. Yeah. Echo Zoe Radio is an outreach of Echo Zoe Ministries. If you are blessed by the show, please consider offering your support. There are many things you can do to help, including prayer, sharing the show with others, and your financial support. Echo Zoe Ministries is a registered nonprofit organization with 501c3 tax-exempt status, and your donations are tax-deductible. For more information about how you can support Echo Zoe Ministries, please visit echozoe.com support. That wraps up episode 144. Thanks for listening to Echo Zoe Radio. For show notes as they become available, check out echozoe.com 144. Be sure to check out the website also for links to connect to Echo Zoe on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube and love to connect with you. So follow, like, and subscribe to Echoes Away Ministries. 
Help us also get the word out by sharing or retweeting the announcements to your favorite episodes. And Lord willing, we'll be back next month with the May episode of Echo Zoe Radio. Mm-hmm.